Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Today, we're talking about a uh, part of strength and conditioning that most strength coaches don't like to do on their own, and that is conditioning. I pretty much have my entire staff on the podcast today. So, Coach Ryan DeVrent, Brendan McDonald, Stephen Wood, uh, Emily Guyman, and of course, our producer, Stephen Strobus. We really hope you guys enjoy our conversation. You know, one thing we've been doing as a staff, and I know if I, I've expressed this to you guys, but, you know, conditioning has been a main emphasis for us in our development. And, you know, I'm saying this for everybody that's listening, but we, we don't do things as individual strength coaches, meaning that just because I find out about maybe a new training technique or a different conditioning uh method it's just not i'm doing it and then it's it's isolated to my teams or my athletes it's when we do find something new in an area that we need to grow in we do it as a staff and that's something we take great pride in it's something that uh, you all have bought into as being a part of our um kind of who we are that we are unified, which is you know a big part of our brand, and we're unified in making sure that it's just I'm not getting better at something. It's you know everybody on staff is working towards that, and that I think the as a strength coach, and I think all of us, it's we just don't read something or listen to something, and then we understand it completely, and we're good to go and ready to program it with our teams. We need to take ourselves through it, and you know one thing that most strength coaches aren't extremely excited about is taking themselves through conditioning workouts and BMAC I think you've done a great job of educating us on um, you know the MAS and hip builder and uh, making sure that uh, we're getting practical experience with programming workouts using those tools Um, but I think even when we started this journey, I guess it was January, we, we decided that, you know, something we want to tackle as a staff was getting better, not only in conditioning, but speed and agility and plyometrics and had some great conversations about what we do with our specific teams. You know, I, I think our young strength coaches took a lot out of it um, based on our similarities and our progressions and our, and our, um, um, my in- injury prevention drills, but we started off by you guys really diving into energy systems, which was a great, um, I think, refresher for me because I-, I remember writing down quite a few points where I'm like, you know, a lot of this is basic information that you learn in undergrad ex phys classes, but you know, practically being able to take that information and you guys giving it to us in a way that it's specific to strength and conditioning and we're doing this because of x y and z and you want to attack this area because of uh, x y and z i think that was a great um uh foundation for us to start those conversations on so bmac and wood pretty much led those conversations at first when it came to energy systems did you I'll kind of throw it to you. Did you guys have to do a lot of research on the front end or is it something that you retained from your, from your school days? Uh, I mean, I was at the time writing my um, master's comps on energy system development. So I was kind of reviewing it as we were talking, I think overall, like, and wouldn't I have a lot of conversations where we're just kind of talking shop and shively and stuff where the big concepts we, we discuss quite often, but a lot of times, a lot of the smaller details, which we didn't even cover half of those, um, those are definitely things that occasionally we kind of have to dig back in and be like, wait, how, you know, what exactly is this process and how is this affected? Yeah, I definitely had to dive back in, especially with the more specific and more intricate pieces of those energy system development concepts. Um, you know, with my, I, my primary team is track and field, um, and so I don't do a ton of the conditioning stuff with them. So 
you know, the basic, the general concepts or something else familiar with, but, you know, diving into the specifics of, you know, um, you know, the pro the physiological processes and, and how they affect adaptation were something I definitely had to look back up and, and re re make sure I was un in fully understanding of those. And I feel like it's one of those things where as you guys were giving those presentations, it was a good refresher and almost, um, almost just, and I'm trying to, I'm, I can't, the words aren't coming to my mind, but it's like, I do this without thinking. When I'm programming, I'm not actively thinking about um, the exact physiology, but as you guys were uh, giving those presentations, like, yeah, that just reinforces, that's what I was trying to say, reinforces why we do this. Um, I don't know if you guys were the same way, or were you, or do you guys, when you program, whether it's conditioning or lifting, are you thinking, you know, physiologically energy systems this is this is what i'm trying to accomplish i think personally for me like i have i mean we have so, uh, sort of a repertoire of runs as you were saying that we all are, are able to grab from we're all pretty familiar with and you know once we've discussed them you just kind of know like all right this is a longer run this is going to be targeting a much more road adaptation versus like repeat sprint ability we know is going for much more glycolytic effect so I'm not necessarily thinking in my head like man glycolytic, but I'm you know always kind of thinking like am I hitting these areas, um, and checking those off. And I think um, you know a lot of times like you said you're not actively thinking about it as much like man you know this is exactly this many seconds which is matching up with this. But um, especially when I think it comes out most when you're talking shop with other strength coaches. So either um, you know we're all on a million zooms when this all started with different staffs and different coaches, and you're starting to talk about like the specific demands of sports and and different like practical and applied um, examples, that's when you start really thinking about it and kind of going back to those roots, um, especially when you hear something like, uh, I think it was SIUE staff was talking about like their, their lactic intervals that they do. Um, we, you know, do similar things. We don't call it that same thing. And it was, it kind of made me start to look at the runs that we do in a different way. Guy, man, as a younger strength coach on our staff, when B Mac and Wood were doing those presentations, and you just got out of undergrad um, less than a year ago, or a little over a year ago now. But was it as they were going through that? Was that something that was like, oh yeah, I know this, or was anything presented that was kind of like an aha moment for you? Maybe that wasn't um, wasn't in a lecture or a class that you took at Virginia Tech. I think that. Go, like when I was going through it and listening to B Mac and Wood talk about it, it was all very familiar to me. Like there wasn't any, you know, new terminology that I didn't know. But when it comes to applying it to what we do and with our teams, that was very helpful. Um, you know, we create a needs analysis and we figure out what our teams need energy system wise and those demands and then putting it into practice. I think, you know, in undergrad, we, we learn those energy systems and how it works in the body, but not necessarily how to train them. That's kind of where they bridge the gap there. Now, one thing I said at the beginning is, you know, most strength coaches were very comfortable in the weight room with a barbell in our hands. And we might get excited about a new piece of equipment or a new type of squat bar. But I think it's, it's um, not too many people get excited like, oh, here's a new way to work on my aerobic system. Let me go try that. But like I said, we, we are the type of staff and the type of strength coaches that we need to put ourselves through it so we understand what our student athletes uh, will be feeling when we program that into their conditioning workout. Uh, me, as an athlete, is I, I played football in college. I was a wide receiver. But conditioning, speed, agility, that, that, that was my thing. I loved it. I'm not afraid of uh, breaking a sweat, being outside, huffing and puffing, getting to that point where you're um, two seconds away from vomiting. Um, you know, it's harder now that I'm older, but as an athlete, that's what I thrived on. And one thing I really enjoyed about um, teams that I have been a strength coach in the past for, so both soccer programs, uh, the track team, is I felt like I was in my wheelhouse. And I still feel like I'm in my wheelhouse with women's basketball because conditioning is such a big part of their sport. I'll kind of throw it to you guys. Uh, Wood, I know you, obviously you're a weightlifter now and running's not your most favorite thing, but 
you know, BMAC, Wood, Guyman, Strobus, and, and D's going to hop on here. But, like, when we do those conditioning runs, are you excited? Are you dreading it? What, what's your thought? I can kind of start. Um, <clears throat> at first, I, I was definitely a little nervous. Um, you know, we've done the summer competitions, you know, for the last three or four years and, and worked out that those systems. And as you guys know on staff, that's definitely not my wheelhouse. I like to try to lift things once and, uh, you know, wait five minutes and lift it again. But, you know, I think that getting out of the comfort zone has been great. And, and I've actually seen a little bit of transfer over into what I do. Um, you know, we've been doing everything from aerobic runs to, you know, speed and power runs. And, and looking back, I can see, hey, you know, my recovery has been better since we started doing these aerobic workouts um, in between, like I don't get as stiff in between, in between reps. Um, and then thinking about like when we're doing our sprinting and our power, I think that sprinting is a great complement to Olympic lifting, um, you know, power development, power endurance, you know, there's times in weightlifting meets where you've got to hit nearly two maximal lifts within two minutes of each other. Um, those are situations that arise and, and things go wrong in the back where you have to, you don't got as much time as you want. And so I've really enjoyed getting out of my comfort zone and, and, and diving into those. And, you know, if it's, if it's programmed and kind of periodized correctly in the same, you know, in the, that training cycle or that micro cycle, it's, I've, it's totally been a benefit to me, even though I dread doing them. Yeah, it's something I always get kind of nervous about. I know, like, from the minute I got here, we go do conditioning runs, and you, you kind of get that feeling in your stomach, like, oh, gosh, it's going to be tough. And I think, like, when you go through a lift in the weight room, especially, I mean, us, we take forever, and, and we take our sweet time lifting. I can control when I have to go do that next, you know, effort. Whereas when it's conditioning, it's it's a timed thing, and, and I know that it's going to – the level of effort I, I put into it is controlled more so for me. And so there was definitely always kind of those nerves with it. Um, that was kind of why when I was selecting a topic to talk about for my comps, it was, you know, I chose energy system development and conditioning because I, like you said, I mean, we're, we're way more comfortable in the weight room. We know certain sets and reps, we know certain volume intensity, we know all of that's going to make, you know, this training adaptation happen. And, and there's a lot that backs that up and we're very comfortable with it. And we like to lift with running, you know, I was a basketball player, so I did run a lot. I hated it when I was a player. And when I had several knee surgeries, like I started to appreciate it more and ended up going into long distance running you know, right at the end of uh, undergrad. So I definitely appreciate it more. Um, but I think too, like you said, being around the sports that you have, it makes you appreciate it. So, um, you know, at first I had the tennises, I had the golfs, it wasn't um, something I really programmed a ton and I wasn't super focused on. And now that I am getting into the soccers and those are my sports now, I'm, you know, I'm around them all day and I appreciate it a lot more. And now it's like, okay, I wanna see how this feels as I'm taking through it. Like you said, we always do the runs we take them through. Um, and then I want to get them, like, I understand the demands, the energetic demands of their sport now. And I want to try to target that as best as I can. And I appreciate it and respect it. So now instead of being like, oh gosh, this is going to hurt. It's like, man, I want to go get better at this today. And I have a different appreciation for conditioning. And I think it helps us be a better coach. So if we've experienced the exact same run or the exact same workout that our student athletes have, when you can help them out and maybe even preface the workout with, Hey, when you get to this rep or this distance, this is how I felt. Be prepared for that. This is how I got through it. And it just helps you coach them, you know, physically and mentally through a challenging run workout, whatever you got going on. And I think that's the greatest value um, I feel when uh, we do those workouts and I coming back to, a concept to kind of hit on uh, it with Dr. Cormier. The, the last podcast episode we had was our student athletes know that we do that. And they, something that we talk to them about a ton is, you know, we're going to ask you to do this, but you need to understand that we took ourselves through it. And I think that just helps build trust um, from them to us. Um, they, they, they know we have their best interest at heart. They know that we're trying to do everything we can to help them succeed. And we wouldn't ask them to do anything that we're not willing to do ourselves. Um, that, like B, what was the longest race, long distance race you've done BMAC? Have you done a marathon? No, I've just done several half marathons. I was getting ready to do one and then I wanted to try to get stronger. So still on yeah. the bucket list. Uh, I did a marathon once. 
that was awful. One of the worst experiences I've ever had. <laughs> Doesn't sound fun. No, it was Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is so hilly. So I was doing most of my runs in downtown Lexington, which is relatively flat, but Cincinnati was up, down, up, down, up, down. Yeah, my friend runs that every year, and I go spectate and just trying to get to the different spots to cheer around. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think it's just such a remarkable human achievement to to cover a marathon. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know when I'll, what day I'll start running again to train for it um, after I reach the goals that I have right now. But I just think it's something that to say that you've done one is like just so incredible. Yeah, I'm an incredible person. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I did it with Jordan before we were married. So I think we were engaged at the time that almost ended our relationship as we were going through 16, 18, 20 mile runs together. And whoever we would alternate each week who planned out our long, um, our long route that we would do. Cause half the time, not half the time we would do one run a week together and whoever planned out that run, for that week and we would usually do it on saturday the other person would just be like this is the worst route you pick so many hills but probably won't do that ever again that, that was tough uh but let's dive into what we did do so like i mentioned we started off by talking about plyometrics agility change of direction all that kind of stuff as a staff in january and then once we kind of got past that we started doing uh, conditioning runs and starting off with energy systems. Um, and then BMAC has been working with um, Hit Builder. And if you want to touch on that a little bit, just so everybody has a background of what that is, um, so we're all on the same page, but then we can dive into what we have done and what we've learned from these runs that we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So the Hit Builder we've been working with, we keep referencing, is from, and I'm going to butcher his name, Mladen Jovanek. Or Jovanovic, um, and he is, has a book called uh, "Hit Periodization for Athletes." And so, essentially, if you're any bit familiar with max aerobic speed, um, it's just kind of max aerobic speed on steroids. So, you know, that was developed, and it started having individualized scores and um, you know goals for each athlete, essentially under the idea that we don't all use the same max. You know, the soccer team doesn't come in and everyone's working off the same back squat max. Why do we do that for conditioning? So, max aerobic speed. Um, attempted to kind of simulate what a VO2 max is. I mean, obviously we don't have the availability to hook every athlete that we have up to a VO2 um, test and run them through that periodically. It's expensive, it's time consuming, it, it's quite logistically difficult. So Max Aerobic Speed came in and said, well, hey, let's try to estimate this and then let's work off of a relative value that's um, you know challenging for each individual athlete and that way we can track their progress. So I know several of us started playing with Max Aerobic Speed um, and then the HIT manual came along to us kind of introduced it over the last year or so with women's soccer. And um, it just allows for more variability. So the same concept, same individualized runs, you're targeting similar adaptations, but um, it just offers more variety and then ways that you can manipulate work to rest ratios a lot more. Because really at the end of the day, that's what you know programming for conditioning is. It's manipulating your work to rest and work manipulating that volume and intensity. So um, you know, we've kind of gone through and, and as we did our talks as a staff, we started from the aerobic system and worked up to ATP PCR. Um, knowing that we aren't a super long distance running staff, um, we kind of started a little bit more in our shorter intervals. And now we're starting to get into the aerobic work as we're going through them ourselves. But um, within these runs, there are, you can do intensive, normal and extensive intervals, which just is a one to two, one to one or two to one work to rest ratio. And you can choose that for all of the runs. Um, they're active and passive runs, so you might be doing, um, you know, you might just be standing there hanging out, catching your breath in between reps, or you might be doing a, a lower intensity interval for that active rest. Um, and then there's just a variety of different intervals that you can go for. And the nice thing about this hip builder we've been using from Lund is that it can, um, you know, you can pick within all of that and you can pick how long you want it to be. If I know that the team I have needs a lot more of an aerobic base, I can select the longer intervals and I can select and build them into longer times that they're working and going. Whereas if I have a team that, you know, I feel is already pretty aerobically developed and I want to spend more time on speed and power or glycolytic work, then um, there are much shorter intervals or repeat sprints that we're able to, to dive into. And, and those are the ones that we've been going through as a staff just to kind of feel um, how they look and how they work and how to set them up. Because when you first look at this hit builder, it's a bit 
overwhelming um and you know it's it's different than we've done before so trying to figure out like okay based off my five minute runtime how does this look how does um you know how do i best run this with the team when you have 27 different distances that everyone should hit and i think that's where um where our conversations have drifted to that i take the most out of it is you know, if I got, if I'm with a basketball team and I, I'm on the court, how do I get this done? Uh, if you do have a larger group, a 30 member soccer team, you know, BMAC, what's your thought with, you know, how would you accomplish this? So I, since we all been at home and trying to do these runs on our own, I, I think that's where I've taken the most out of these conversations. And even thinking like we dived into like um, the Nike run app and how to use that and us getting experience um, practical experience with figuring all that out. Uh, it, we've just had a wealth of knowledge and so many great conversations. Um, and it's typically once a week, maybe 30 minutes that we're diving into this. And it's so it's not taking up a ton of our time as a as a strength staff, but I feel like we've grown so much. Um, I don't know if you remember, what was the first run that we did as a staff? We did the passive short interval. So I think I had us go for 10 seconds on, 20 seconds off. Um, most of us were covering probably around like 40 yards, I think, in that time. Um, and you go for, you know, three or four minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm using that this week for, uh, or next week for softball. Um, so the first one that we did, I'm going back to that, using that just to get them back into the, um, the routine of getting some conditioning base, but individualizing it uh and with softball or i mean with gymnastics as well um so we'll, we're going to see how that goes with them next week did you have them use the, the app and do the five minute run d to get any numbers on i it? did i did i got so they all uh sent in their distances to me through the uh the nike run club app and uh it actually worked out good because they just took their team leaders um everybody that was in their group they sent their distances to them and then they sent the distances over to me. Um, and then I'm, I'm actually going through uh, the hip builder right now to get their distances and then send those out tomorrow. So I feel like that's something like BMAC mentioned in the weight room. We don't expect everybody to squat the same weight or power clean this weight. Everything is very individualized. Um, but I feel like that's I, I'm good at that as a strength coach. I, can, I know my athletes and I can say, OK, so-and-so, um, even when we get back on campus from um, time away, I'll be able to say, I know pretty much where, I'll take Gabby Curry, one of our, our better volleyball players. I know where she's going to be strength-wise. I, I, I can ballpark that. Um, so I feel really confident about doing that in the weight room. But from a conditioning standpoint and uh, getting exact distances and uh, for each player, that's something that's not, not, not so um, – not so easy for me to do right now. So I feel like this will be a, a great learning experience for me personally to um, develop that, that ability to, you know, pick a distance um, for a certain run, just like I would be able to do in the weight room with my student athletes. I think that's where it's, I mean, the, the side of, of conditioning for sports performance is really starting to develop. I think in the past, a lot of things were like, well, you know, we used to do this or we can do this many repeat runs and we had ideas and stuff, but it wasn't really as exact as, you know, like we work off percentages in the weight room and stuff and it wasn't as specific. So you'd write a run and it might challenge athlete A, but athlete B thought that was a piece of cake or, you know, athlete B got challenged and athlete A just died. So trying to find that level where they're able to really, um, you know, you can challenge everybody accordingly, I think is huge. And then especially right now, like, I think we're about to realize the value of this type of training as we go back into this return to play, because, you know, I've had athletes that have had equipment and been able to, you know, fully lift and fully go through runs and stuff. I've had athletes that have been locked in their house. I think we were talking about it before. We, we know people in other countries that haven't even been able to go out for other runs. So in order to come back and be like, okay, you know, I know this person's been able to run, you know, every single day, several miles. And then this person's been stuck in house, you know, doing, air jump roping, this is going to get us to the point where we're able to challenge them. And, and you know, we're, we're targeting the same energy system, but when they all come in in such different levels, 
this is a way that we can do it safely, but then also make sure that we're getting the people that were stuck in the house back up to speed as quickly as we can. I agree with that. Um, I think this will be a great tool for our staff as we get athletes back on campus and kind of going back to what you said uh, at the first part of that, uh, up until this point, majority, and I have used MAS before in the past few years, but um, I, I don't think there's one right way to do it or, uh, or if there's a wrong way to do it, but you know, kind of going back to my knowledge of, I know this athlete can do this on back squats. Um, even if we're, uh, you know, if they're coming off uh, some hard road matches or something like that, I, I know how to adjust their numbers to account for that. And I think from a conditioning standpoint, in the past, if we're doing, let's say, repeat 300-yard shuttles, I know what the standard is in my head for uh, an elite athlete for that specific team or that style of play that uh, they, they play uh, their, their game or their sport with. But it's like, what do you do with that athlete that really struggle, struggles with fitness? And I think this is, uh, will help out a ton. Um, I, I do think there is a great amount of value of setting the distance or setting the time and saying, let's compete and let's go. Um, I, I don't, we'll kind of dive into that now, but uh, what are your guys' thoughts with that? Like, are you completely going away from, hey, you set the distance or you set the time and it's, it's a competition and you, you, you see who can dig down deep and cross the finish line first? I think so you... Go ahead, BMAC. Go ahead. I've still found a great amount of competition. So with this, you know, I said you might have 30 different distances for a soccer team. I don't line out 30 different cones. I have the groups of, you know, three or four groups with that. And even now as they're doing their summer runs, like they see their, their name on a certain group to know their distance. And I have them text me, what do I need to do to get to group one? What do I need to get to group, do to group? I try this distance. And so, you know, they're competing within that. It might not be as, you know, they can't see each other next to that right now, but they all want to be in that group one level. And then even the ones in the group one are like, I want to have the best time or I'm going to beat her on this run. And so I, I think it actually allows for a little bit more specific competition because instead of like we had the example before where there's athlete A and B, they're totally in different levels. Now you just have athlete A is next to people that are more similar to athlete A and they're pushing next to them and you have athlete B that's next to faster people that are pushing more with them. So I still think you get the same competition out of it. And if anything, like this women's soccer team is focused on their runs. They know what levels that they can hit that are going to equate to a certain level on their fitness test, which we have standards as a team they have to pass. And they're like every single day, they're texting me like, man, I want this, this is coming. So I think it's been better just because like, I mean, the same atmosphere we have in the weight room is our, our strength staff with testing. How many of our athletes are like, I want to squat 185 and they come to us and they're like, they have that goal. And for four years, they know they want to hit a certain number. I've been seeing the same thing with conditioning where it's like, I'm getting an 18 on the 3015. Like this is what I'm going for. Is that the requirement for 3015, 18? Oh uh, yeah. We, they didn't have one at first. And then this year we put an 18, I think in, over the next, I mean, before we had COVID, we were hoping to move it to 19, but um, that level probably won't be held the same as we come back now. That would be Real good question. to see yeah, what you got, Wood? Um, like, well, going off of what you just said, um, are you are you using this, or do you envision using the max aerobic speed as like almost a replacement for like conditioning tests, where it's hey, this is the standard, or are you using it as a tool to like build up to your conditioning test? Um, do you have a standard of what you expect, you know, position player or a certain position to have in terms of their max aerobic speed? Um, would you mind talking through that for a second? Yeah, so it's kind of it goes hand in hand. Um, you use the conditioning test to get your scores for the runs, um, but then you're also your scores for the runs are going to help predict that and train for that next level. So, I mean, we use the 3015 with women's soccer. You don't have to use that. You could use the yo-yo test. You could use a different shuttle test. You can even do a, a five minute or a certain um, you know meter run test where they're just trying to get as much distance as they can in those five minutes, which is you know not as exact as like the 3015. But um, the yo-yo test is broken down where you can know like, all right, we want our field players to be here. We want our keepers to be here. And these are appropriate levels for them. And then I even have charts where it says, you know, if you get this level on it, you should be able to last 90 minutes in a soccer game. If you get this level on it, you should, maybe you can last a half. Um, 30-15, I don't, I think it's, it's so new that we don't necessarily have that broken down. Um, but you can say like, all right, we know that an 18 is a good starting level for a field player. 
Um, we keep our keepers to that for women's soccer, but I know other programs will give them a little bit lower of a standard. And I think that as this test is used more, because it's, it's still in its infancy, um, I think that they'll start to get that outlined more. But you have your team standard, they have their individual runs that are working towards that and equate to that. Um, but at the end of the day, they're aiming to get that higher level on the fitness test. Is that gotcha. answered? That does, thank you. And going back to the comp competition point of it all, and B I think BMAC makes a great point. Um, I, you know, I still go back to, you know, if we are doing like a repeat run and, you know, for if you're doing something like a, a, a run based off the hit builder or MAS, they have a certain time or a certain distance they got to get to. But I, I, you know, one thing I don't think I'll ever let leave part of my conditioning um, protocol is repeat runs where it's, you know, you're running right next to a person that and you're trying to beat them by a split second and you're diving across the finish line. Uh, obviously, there's a time and a place for that. But I think that's kind of a different level of competition than somebody coming up afterwards and saying like, hey, I want to get in that first group. How do I get there? I think there's another level you have to go to on a repeat run where you might think, you know, 55 is a good time, but you know, the person in front of you is going to run a, a, a 54 second one instead. I think that, that, that breeds, you know, a different level of competition and a different level of, you know, rep after rep mental toughness. Yeah, I, I agree with that Spurlock. Um, I think that you have to, to have some kind of separation um, with that competition, you know, so it's one of those days like, Hey, you're going to run your individual distances, but then, you know, maybe the second day of that week, it's like, hey, all we're doing today is competing. Um, but, you know, like go, also going off of what BMAC had said, like on the individual stuff, uh, like just sending or just the team leaders sending over their distances to me, like some of them were pissed, you know, that they got beat by such and such, you know, and that's good, you know, to hear that competition because right now they, they, they're not breeding a lot of that. You know, they're sitting at home, they're doing their workouts. It's like, well, how do we find a way to compete? during this time. So I felt, I felt like right now, um, this was the best way to do it. Uh, and you know, softball has set up their own kind of little competition, but, um, this is just something else that they can, they can do right now during this time. I think that's what all of our athletes are lacking right now is the, the atmosphere of a competition. So typically we would be in the middle of our first week of our summer training program where we would have, you know, 50 to 60 student athletes, training at six o'clock in the morning with us and they're not only competing against themselves and their teammates but they're looking across the weight room and seeing other elite athletes that are here at Kentucky and seeing what they're doing seeing how much weight they're lifting the 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 camaraderie camaraderie they have with their team the the conditioning runs that they're doing so I think even as we're doing our staff competitions, like I thought I did really good on my hand release push-ups, uh, the competition we did last Friday, and then I see everybody else's score. I'm like, man, I'm in the middle of pack. I got to pick it up. Um, but I don't – if, you know, D was right next to me as we were doing it, you know, I got that, that feedback right away where he's going faster than me. I need to pick it up. So I, it, it's, a, it's obviously on the back end now, but it, I think what softball is doing is extremely important to – to continue keep pushing uh, themselves to get better week after week. So kind of moving on. Uh, so we started with the passive short interval, right, BMAC? So where are, yes. we, where are we at now? What did our run this week, we've worked up to, what is it? Uh, so I kind of, I didn't take us through it in the most uh, logical manner. I, like I said, I wanted to start us off on some shorter intervals as we, we started to figure it out. Um, so we started our way through the passive short intervals. Then we did active where you're doing, you know, a similar interval, less um, intense or less of a distance for that active part. And then for the resting interval, you're still doing something, you're jogging, you just have a lower distance. Um, after that, we went into the um, tempo runs which are quite challenging. You'll be working for around 10 seconds and then 30 second rest. I mean, you can manipulate that too. So it's 15, 45, you know, however you want it to go. Um, those are quite intense and, and you, you really get some high speed and distance in the hamstrings and those kind of push you. Um, and then after that, we went into the repeat sprint ability runs, um, which is kind of like what you're saying, Spurlock, that you do with volleyball a lot. 
um, where you have to sprint maximally for a certain amount of time and then you rest for maybe 20 seconds without getting full recovery um, and you repeat that for several minutes. Um, after that, um, we had a week off, we kind of had a break and we had made it through most of the more glycolytic runs. So I, I'm not taking us through aerobic work. So we started off last week with our first of our long intervals and we're doing a passive one. So in that case, I kept it one-to-one. -one, so you had to run for a minute and then you um, just kind of hang out for a minute and then go again. And again, this is a much lower intensity than any of the runs we had done before, but you're running for that full minute. So much more aerobic there. Um, and then this week we just switched it up. So we're still doing a passive long interval, but we are running for one minute and then resting for 30 seconds. So you get a little bit less rest in between those minute intervals. I think one of the biggest thing, and it, uh, to, to correct me if I'm wrong, but when we did the tempo run, run, that's the one that I think you prefaced it with, hey guys, your hamstrings might be hurting uh, during and after. Uh, and just getting that experience where we're just not throwing that in there uh, day one with our student athletes and everybody's popping a hamstring uh, while they're going through it. That's just was great uh, feedback for us to feel as coaches. Uh, I'll kind of open it up to everybody. What was everybody's? Uh, we'll start with our least favorite, least favorite run. Um, it was probably the the minute on minute off for me, honestly, just because like when you're using the Nike uh, run app, like the first one that I ran, I was like, okay, well, where am I running in the neighborhood? Um, you know, I, I, I went a downhill and then an uphill. And I had an idea of like where my yardage would be. But, you know, when you go and you're going and you're going, you're like, I got five seconds, you know, where's that? Where's that? All of a sudden it's like, okay, time, you know, you hit your distance. Um, then you stand there for a minute and you're like, okay, well, I have, um, what was it, like 10 minutes? I think it, we did that set for and we did three sets. Uh, so you're sitting there and that, that takes 20 minutes. So you're looking at it, you're like, okay, minute on, minute off. You run, you get halfway through it and you're like, I'm, I'm only halfway. Uh, so for me, like last week's was probably the hardest. Yeah, because we went from, I think our longest, the entire time it took us to do a workout was like 25 minutes maybe. And then last week, all of a sudden it was like, okay, we're going for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, kind of going back to us just having a conversation about, you know, how we're, because we're all at home. D did his in a neighborhood. Um, I did mine on a treadmill, which was, you know, me setting it up was completely different, but I didn't have to deal, deal with hills um, or anything like that. So even though Dee and I were doing the same run, I thought it was a really tough workout, but definitely not as hard as Dee running up and down hills, um, trying to get it done that way. Wood, what was your least favorite one? I can't remember which one it was called, but it was the one where we had, uh, we were doing the shuttles and it was like, a, we had an active distance and then a passive distance. Um, I remember texting BMAC after the second set and I was like, what did you do to us? Like, and you, it was where you really never stopped. You had like a distance you had to get a longer distance in a certain amount of time and then a shorter distance you had to get in a certain amount of time. So it was basically constantly going and, you know, that's certainly not my wheelhouse as we've talked about, but I remember like after, even after the first set, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to hit all my times on the second set and barely did. And I, I wouldn't have texted BMAC and she wouldn't have told me to shut up and run. I uh, probably wouldn't have made that third set. As someone that Wood's been programming for, for weightlifting, I had a lot of joy in telling him to suck it up and keep going. <laughs> that was, that was a tough one, Wood. I mean, like, literally, it was like, okay, well, we're going to, you got to do, it was like a shuttle where you ran like 40 yards out and then 40 yards back. And then you're like, okay, I'm done with this. Nope. You got like 18 yards out and then back for the, you know, for your active rest. And you're like, gosh, dang, I forgot about that. And that one, that one, uh, that was not fun. Yeah. Cause like Wood said, we were just moving the whole time. And then even afterwards we talked about it. Like if you make that, um, so if you go out, you like these said 40 yards and back, and then you change direction again and go 18 yards and back, that was a lot harder than if you just finished your 40 and back kept moving straight into the 18 yards and back and you kind of take away a, a change of direction. I think that's kind of going back to my main point where it's okay. We're all probably doing these a little bit differently, but um, you know, you might be able to switch something up slightly like that. That makes it a little bit more doable or uh, might be a little bit more feasible to do uh, on campus as opposed to at home. 
And that's what I love about these runs is like you can manipulate so many things about them, whether it's like a change of direction, the rest time, the rest intensity, whether it's active or passive, the working time, the working intensity, how far you're going, um, all that stuff. When I, when I first was introduced to it, I just thought, you know, there was grid and there was, you know, your long intervals and that's just how you had to do it. But there's so many ways to manipulate it. And I think that's really cool. I agree. I like that. I like having that, that flexibility and it's not, you have to do it this way and this is the only way you can do it. It's, you know, I might do it this way because it will work better with basketball. D might do it this way because it works better with baseball, so on and so forth. I like that flexibility. I've appreciated, I've appreciated like just us meeting as a staff and talking about it and the differences that everybody went through. You know, some people were flat, some people were on a treadmill, some people were up and down hills you know, and just hearing the different perspectives, um, you know, kind of opens it up and, and going back to like what Guyman said, um, you know, before you're just like, hey, there, you thought it was a couple runs, but <clears throat> during this, you know, eight weeks that we've been running, it, there's so much more to it that you can, you can put into it, into the, the massive speed. And, uh, uh, I, I've, I've really enjoyed just hearing the feedback from the staff. I think it's something to that, you know, we, we started it and now we're eight weeks in and, you know, as we're talking and as we continue to add things to our program that make us better strength coaches, this might be something that just sticks with us where we, we continue to do this uh, week after week, even after this whole uh, stay at home coronavirus deal is over and it's something that we just continue to grow in. Because it's always we always try to do something as a staff each semester, and sometimes we we go to the pool once a week and we swim. Uh, sometimes uh, I forget what month we did it in the fall semester, but we did all of our team's conditioning tests. This might be something that we just continue on to uh, build, uh, you know, staff camaraderie, but continue to grow in the area of conditioning. BMAC, what was your uh, least favorite run that you've programmed yourself? Um, least favorite to do, but most favorite to program is the tempo. I understand it's important and I need it, but I, like I said, I was a long distance runner and I was slow and steady. So for me to start hauling it for 10 seconds, um, I think it took me like four days to recover and Wood ran it with me actually. And like halfway through the sets, he was like, no, you, you gotta keep going. I think that was the one where I switched from running in my backyard. Cause we needed, we needed a somewhat longer distance. We needed like well over 50 yards so I ended up doing it in a parking lot while the boys were riding their bikes and that was the first time I've ever been like me changing the surface that I ran on from grass to asphalt was awful and it's not like the heat coming up on the asphalt it was just the pounding on my shins and my knee and my hammies were just aching during and after that one yeah, once I started on the grass on that one and it was there was a little bit of dew on the grass, I was like, well, this was a bad idea, yep. you know, because you're like chop, chop, chop. And then you're like, well, now I got to go full out sprint on the way back because I just rested on the turn. But these are all great things to consider now when, when we're writing programs for our athletes, though, because, you know, you, sometimes you take for granted that, you know, we're doing that run at six in the morning and there's going to be dew in the fall or in the spring, or hey, we can't get on there, so we gotta switch to a different surface. I mean, that's one thing that I've really enjoyed learning about this, you know, and learning from you guys, because like I said, I'm not with the traditional team sport, and so this isn't necessarily my wheelhouse, but you know, it's those little things that you don't always consider when you just put something down on paper, right? Or write a programming project, something like that. So I've, that's one of the parts I've really enjoyed, and just hearing you guys discuss that or like hearing the experiences of everyone is definitely going to make us all better as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we're doing it. So we can, you know, one of the pieces of our brand and you all know this, but for those listening is we try to be forward thinkers in all areas. So you can't be a forward thinker if you're asking your student athletes to do something you've never done or experienced. And, you know, just because I experienced something in this situation doesn't mean that's how it's going to, work out for every student athlete, whether they're on campus or at home. So hearing BMAC and Wood and D and all of yours um, uh, thoughts about the workout just helps us um, better program for it in the future. 
Strobus, you don't get to talk talk much on the podcast. What was your least favorite run? Um, probably the the same one that Wood uh, said. Um, I was home back in Washington when we did that, I believe. And so it was the first time I had done it. I did it on a turf field and I set it up so that I was at the goal line instead of, and so I just had to like run, 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 turn, run, 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 turn. And it was a lot of change of direction that I wasn't really trained for or prepared for. And so if I would have, if I could go back and do it, I would set it up on like the 50 and instead of having to turn again for the, the rest interval, the active rest, I would have just kept going straight and had that extra space to do it. Um, cause like I was feeling it the next day through the joints, just all that change of directions. Uh, kind of hitting on, and I, we don't have to go through person by person, but one of my favorite runs that I did was probably the one that D liked the least when we went a minute on minute off, but it was, uh, I, I liked it because I was on the treadmill and I was able to set it to a certain pace and my, then just go from there. And uh, that was probably, I think because it was on the treadmill and it, I had that visual in front of me, I knew what my pace was going to be. I didn't have to think too much about, I need to slow up or I'm sorry, speed up or slow up to, to, to make the time or make the distance. But I think that was probably one of my favorites. Does yeah, anybody the else only thing that, on? The only thing that saved me on that Spurlock on the Nike Run Club app was like telling me halfway, like it was like, you know, you're 32 seconds and you're halfway, you know, so it was like, okay, that helped a ton. Because um, you can set have, the distance on the app, you set the distance, yeah, 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 you set the distance and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, you, you get halfway, I knew where my number needed to be. Now, if I was off like three seconds, I had to haul it for the last, you know, 20 some seconds. Um, but my favorite probably was like the sprint interval, like the four second where it was like, that didn't take long at all. But like, I didn't realize like how sore I was the next day, just with my hamstrings from like a full out sprint for four seconds. I think it was four seconds. Yep. It was four seconds on. And then what was the rest B Mac? Do you remember? It was 20, 20. So okay. that, that was another one D where I woke up the next morning. I was like, hammy's got hit there. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side of you guys, I like the one that everyone hated. I like the active short interval where you were going and then you were still going because I'm not the strongest, I'm not the fastest, but I can last a long time. Yeah, I think that was the one we talked out, talked about the most in terms of, you know, you really have to if to pace it out in terms of either not getting done too soon and just pacing out the uh, the active recovery. So it's it's it, it the workout just flows better. That was a good one. I like it because you're constantly moving. So for me, my mind was just like, all right, you're here. Then you're, yeah. you're jogging, then you're sprinting instead of like sprinting and like, okay, I'm resting. Okay. How many more do I have? Okay. Oh, I have this much more. All right, here we go again. It's just like, I'm just constantly working. So I wasn't even like all of a sudden time was up. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I think that right. one was a good learning experience because the, we did that two weeks in a row, but you, I think, did you add a set or, you know, you added a minute to each mm -hmm. set, I think, BMAC. And so instead of being done at four minutes, so I was just letting my, uh, my watch run. I was like, oh man, mentally, I got to get through two more reps of this to finish it out. That's how I felt about the tempo. Cause they were like 10 minute sets. So you're standing there and, you know, I think in one of the runs we had done, it was like 15 and, you know, I'm talking to Wood next to me and we're like, we still have eight to go. <laughs> we still have seven to go. <laughs> that, that's where that positive self-talk comes in. Yeah, a lot of these were mentally challenging and that's another really good aspect of these. Like we're not only training our energy systems, we're training our minds as well to like get through workouts and then like that'll transfer over into competitions. When you're tired, you got to push through mentally. And most of the time, unless, you know, we met up with somebody to do, do this, we were doing them by ourselves. So mm -hmm. it's not about, you know, your strength coach being there or a colleague being there to say, hey, you're doing a great job or, hey, you just got to keep pushing. It's all about what's going on in your head. And I think that will be a good conversation for us to have maybe in the near future about, you know, what our student athletes are feeling right now, whether they're lifting or running or whatever it might be that they don't have the support system like they would have uh, during a normal workout on campus where 
they're, they're, they can pace themselves with their, their teammates or they're looking up to an upperclassman or if they have a strength coach that's in their ear encouraging them, uh, yelling out the times. I think that was another fee, uh, piece of feedback we talked about was, you know, this would have gone a lot smooth, smoother if I didn't have to look down at my watch um, every five seconds to see if the pace was good because – you know, if you got somebody that's yelling out the times for you, it's mentally that helps out a ton. And obviously being able to pace it out better is um, going to make the, the the run feel more efficient. So I think that's a good conversation we can have about um, – and it might be something we talk to our student-athletes about when they start getting on campus is like, hey, what was the toughest part or what was the biggest thing you missed about being on campus, being with your teammates and – you know, having the the atmosphere that we have um, at our weight rooms at UK that just helps you push through a lot easier than it is doing it on your own. That was one thing I had, because, you know, we've been supplying so many varieties of workouts with our athletes and stuff this whole time. And one of my um, men's soccer players had reached out to me and said, I just, I don't know if we're going to have a fall season. We don't have a start date. Like, I just my motivation is at an all time low. I don't know how to keep going. And um, so I had a couple of talks with them and ended up finding out he's got a sister that plays soccer. So I was like, can you, can you bring them along? You know, can you guys go through this together? And um, that's helped a lot. And then on top of that too, like kind of like you said with softball, um, men's soccer ended up forming some groups. So they kind of have a leader and upperclassmen and they check in with each other and they're like, Hey, how are your runs going? And you know, if they have questions, they're all in it together and they check on each other, you know, did you get this done yet? Um, and so I think while it's been a struggle for a lot of them and many people probably went through with that kid reached out to me for and said, Hey, I, you know, I'm struggling to get this done. They never have to form those groups in a normal year. They never have to try to pull each other, um, off the ground in a normal year because they're, like you said, they're here and we're yelling and we're pushing it. And instead they've had to find a little bit of that resilience and also become stronger as a team as they're like, Nope, come on, get up the couch. Like, I know we don't have a set date yet, but let's go. And that, I mean, yeah, you know, I even find myself doing that sometimes where, you know, if I don't get up in the morning and don't work out, the only person that's going to know it is me. And, you know, right now us as a strength staff, we're, we're working out when we want to work out. And if, you know, Wood doesn't get his workout in today, the only person that knows it is him. And that account, account, accountability piece is more evident in our profession now than ever. That's, um, you know, it's a big reason why we exist is just make sure the work gets done. But anything else you guys want to touch on? I have a quick uh, question for you, Brenna. Um, are we ever going to retest our five minute time? Yeah, I, I more so just because I wanted to expose us to these different runs and um, kind of sort things out because this is the first time like I myself have gone through them, um, especially because the team was doing them before I, I was with them. Um, I just kind of wanted us to feel through it and, and problem solve them. If I were to do it again, I would treat us like I've been treating my teams. So every fourth week they have retested their five minute run and then they kind of voluntarily send that over to me. And then I get to track their progress because technically the way we're doing it right now, like Wood said, he already feels improvement. Um, we've likely, you know, been training off of distances that are a little too easy for us. But um, since the goal of this was more to explore the runs and, and the purpose was to more kind of weed out some of the, the issues that could arise with them, uh, I didn't choose to spend as much time retesting and, and tracking our performance as much as I did. Let's have these conversations. How often would you retest in a, if you were working with the team and there was no like limitations? You're supposed to do every fourth or fifth week. Yeah. So similar, like kind of when you deload in a, in a, um, a lifting cycle, I still deload with them with the runs and right around that point is when I'll test them as well. Um, just because you, I mean, these kids are adapting crazy fast. Um, and you've got people that are doing almost double the score after, you know, three cycles of this in the summer. And so, um, you know, probably every fourth week is, is ideal. That was one thing I took away, and BMAC knows this, is when we did the five-minute run test, we're doing it by ourselves. I get my app out, the Nike Run app, and I got dead last on staff. And I'm like, no way am I the slowest person on staff. So I think two weeks went by. I'm like, I'm doing it again. And I do it again, and I'm still the last person on staff. So being able to see that even though – I, I don't know what the main takeaway from it. I'm blaming the app. 
I'm having a fixed mindset and I'm blaming the app because I do, don't think there's any way that, no offense to you, Strobus, that you're a better runner than me. <laughs> I think it's definitely like there's a learning curve. And I was telling D because this is the first time his athletes are going through this five-minute run. And I told him, you know, my, my athletes' score skyrocketed on the second five-minute run. Part of that is because I'm an excellent programmer. Part of it is because they just learned the five-minute run now. Um, and, and you kind of get that feel for it. So like you, Spurlock, you're very like sprint based. And like you said, you're racing next to D and you have that. That's how you get motivated. Um, for me, running for five minutes was like, I liked it a lot more because like I said, I, I'm a, a last it longer kind of, if I can grow into cruise control and think about what I'm going to do later that day while I'm running, I thrive. So I think part of it is kind of how, if we had a sprint test, you'd probably still be one of our first ones because the, like the workouts you tend to select are our lower minutes there, you know, hit the gas and go and then you're faster than everybody whereas this one it's a little bit more long term of a push um, but I, I definitely think there's a learning curve with it and had we redone it as a staff you probably would have approached it in a different way after having felt out um, you know how how it should go because even I think D said and I've had a few I mean some of my soccer guys are, are right under a, a mile in this five minute point they're reaching 0.98 miles um, the second time we've done it which is incredible and some of them are like, I was absolutely gassed, you know, and there are other ones where it's like, oh, that wasn't bad. And that's kind of how I felt. Cause like I said, I don't have the gas that you do to, to push through things a lot of times. So I think I probably even have a higher, um, you know, ceiling than I, I put forward on those runs. So pacing's a big part of it. And of course, you know, the app. <laughs> I think I thrive off of, because we did this run, we did the five minute run as a staff. Uh, Korea was here in Rankin. We're here. I, all, that's all I remember. And I forget exactly what we were doing, but I crushed everybody in it. We were running laps around the, um, the turf field and I got first place. So whether it's, I need somebody. And I felt like, and being Mac and I talked about this after I did not perform very well the first time through. And it was two weeks later, I had my mindset. I'm like, I woke up early. I, I fueled, I hydrated, I stretched, I warmed up and I still went out and tried to do my best and still got last place out of everybody. So it, it might just be, I need somebody to run next to me, even though I'm perceiving as myself, I'm perceiving that I'm, uh, my perception is that I'm going as hard as I can. Obviously not, unless they're, once again, I'm going to have a fixed mindset and blame the app. Uh, I just need somebody either right by my side or right behind me to push me to get to, uh, a maximal distance or go as hard as I can. There was uh, when softball and gymnastics sent their distances the other day, I started looking at it and I was like, man, I'm highly impressed by a few. And then there was a couple that I started laughing about just because I'm like, you know what? I'm actually going to go and use my Nike run club app and I'm going to try to walk this distance and see if I can beat it, you know, so I can, I'm able to, to come back and give some feedback to the team of like, is this a competitive edge that you have? Like, if I can walk this, there's no way that I should meet this distance. Um, so I think it's a good point. It was good just seeing the distances because, you know, some people are just not motivated unless we're around to, to motivate them. Um, so it was just, you know, it's good to see the distances and, and give them feedback on, you know, hey, you know, who do you need to push you during this time? So... Indeed. One thing we've learned too with women's soccer is that um, the first set of five minute runs we did like end and middle of quarantine, they weren't good, you know, and they equated to being like very far below the standard that they have. And many of us beat them on our, our initial five minute run. Um, and then I looked at it and I also kind of have gotten to know this team quite well. And I know that they do well when they have a goal in the past when they didn't have a set standard for the 30, 15, it was all over the place and people would do really well and they were terribly and really well because they didn't have that number in their mind. And so as soon as they start to felt, feel exhaustion, like that particular group struggles. Um, and as soon as we gave them a number and they knew we're going for 18, like they all pass. Um, but same thing with the five minute run, I had to tell them, Hey, you're looking for at least 1200 meters to equate to the score that you want. Like that's your goal. And then when they set out to attack that second five minute run and they knew that, now all of a sudden I have kids reaching 1500 plus um, because they know that level and then they've set that, that thing in their mind. Um, but I think definitely like when we did it, we just went out and ran for five minutes and D's athletes being the first time they've done this, the gymnastics girls are probably like, well, okay, you know, <laughs> going for a jog because they, they don't know what they should be reaching or what a good score is. You have nothing to compare it to. I think big takeaway from just that short conversation is, you know, people get motivated by certain things. Some people need somebody in their ear. Somebody needs somebody to run with. 
Um, I know, but I know very few people that I can think of and they are their best when they are isolated by themselves and training alone with nobody to coach them, um, uh, cheer them on, push them, work out with them. Um, but guys, I think this has been a, a really good talk, super good talk. Those listening, if you have any feedback for us, if you have any questions, any comments, any topics you want us to dive into more, don't hesitate to reach out to us at ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks and go Cats.